Let us ask the Lord to bless his word today. We do thank and praise you, Lord God of heaven and earth, for giving us your word, for making clear your will to us so that we know how to live faithfully, joyfully, and fruitfully. And we pray that now by your spirit you will teach us and guard us from all the lies of the world and Satan. Help us to walk in the light of your word so that we can bring glory and honor to you and see your blessing flow through us to the world. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Today we're concluding our series on the ten words. We are in the ongoing season of Pentecost. This is the season of the church. We are taking our direction from what to study from God's word, from our Lord's final words to his disciples, on the day of his ascension. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. We see in this passage several points. First of all, that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Jesus. He tells us, in relationship to that, that we are to go and make disciples. That is to say, we got to get up, we got to go out, we got to do it, and it takes purposeful action. We are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And last week we had the wonderful opportunity of not only baptizing an infant, but also a new believer in Christ. We are to teach in that way, making disciples. What? We are to teach folks to observe all that God has commanded you. Teaching requires us to be knowing And observing teaches us and requires us to live it out. Jesus finishes saying all these things by declaring that he will be with his church until time ends. And of course I see all that and that to me goes into our whole Sunday school lessons that we've been working on. But all of this tells us that we need to pay attention, we need to learn God's word, we need to live it out, and we need to take it and actually cultivate it in others. And so with that, we've been studying the ten words or the ten commandments of God. Remember that when we consider the ten words, these commandments, that it is God himself who is speaking in Exodus chapter 20. And he spoke all these words. God spoke these words. This is God himself speaking to us, instructing us, and teaching us. God speaks to us with his personal name. He speaks to you and I individually and to all of us as his people. Praise God that God gives us true humanity in walking according to his words and commandments. Praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, There is forgiveness of sins because we could hear the ten words. We could hear these commandments and say, I'm completely undone. I can't stand before God. And you should. 
But in Christ Jesus, there is reconciliation to God through the forgiveness of sins. Just briefly here, we need to remember these words. In the first word, we came to realize that we are not to bring any other God before the living and triune God. The second word tells us not to make any idols. That when we are making our own idols, and this is important, this will play into today, when we make our own idols, we are attempting to displace Jesus as our only mediator to God. In the third word, we recognize that all Christians carry the name of our God through our baptism in every areas of our lives and that we must take care not to carry the Lord's name in a way that will cause the unbelieving nations to blaspheme God. We need to remember that the fourth and fifth words teach us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy and bring rest to others, and that we should honor our parents and those in the faith who came before us. The sixth word reminds us that all people are created in the image of the triune God, and we are to preserve life, and not only that, to make all of life fruitful. That goes into making disciples. That is, making the things that we do fruitful and grow. God calls us to worship Him alone. He gives us boundaries for worship. In the seventh word, God instructs us not to commit adultery, both in our worship of God Almighty and in the image of the faithfulness of Jesus to His bride by having one man and one woman and a faithful bond of the marriage bed. In the eighth word, God reminded us that everything in this world, the triune God has provided all men, and we should not steal from anyone as we are stealing from God, first of all, in this way. In the ninth word, Satan becomes a deceitful accuser of God. He bears false witness against God with the intent to harm others. We must remember that bearing false witness is always motivated out of envy and self-seeking preservation. We should not bear that false witness. We should not become a Satan, a false accuser. This moves us to the tenth word. So let us hear our passages today, both from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word of the Lord. I know I added that for you. You know, we need to remember that God gave these commandments as he established the people of Israel as a nation. So as he's doing this, he's got the people 
of Israel all out in front of the mountain, and he's giving these commands, he's giving these words, he's giving these directives, and he is saying, I'm telling you all these things because I know that you need to become not just a wandering group of nomads, but actually a nation. And so again, let us consider this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know, there are seven areas or things in this list. The house or the household. The wife, male servants, female servants. He mentions ox and donkey. So ox is clean animal, donkey is unclean, or anything. God is, gives them this direction, and now they need to mature into self-rule as a nation, as a people. Israel goes through that maturing process because of their unbelief and trust in God for 40 years in the wilderness. And as we've mentioned before, Moses gives his sermon on the ten words to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. And we see two clarifications of this command. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is bringing clarity to this but there's an, a reason for these things first of all we see that the wife becomes preeminent and the second that you are not to covet your neighbor's land you know the second one is easy to understand as moses sermon in deuteronomy when he gets to the very end of deuteronomy he lays his hands on joshua and anoints him as leader of israel to go in and take the promised land up until this point They've been growing and maturing and being faithful and being unfaithful and going through things and learning about God's Word and how to live it out in their life. And they've been in the wilderness. Now they're about to go in the promised land, and we see that he is granting them land. He's going to give them land, and this becomes important. And so that part of the clarity comes in, making that clear, that you are not to covet your neighbor's land. You know, it's difficult because when we look at the first one, we say, why is there this change? Well, as God goes in and he establishes the people of Israel in the promised land, and they're going to get land, and the Bible says they're going to get houses that they didn't build, and they're going to find some of them empty. Just as a note, you may not recognize this, but you can see if you look in the scriptures that one of the things that God says is that he's going to drive out the people before him. And it isn't just about battle, but he's going to send these killer bees, these wasps, these hordes in, and it's going to drive out a bunch of people, and they're going to show up, and some of the things they're not even going to have to battle for, they're just going to find the houses, the vineyards, the fields, the land, all ready for them to move into. And so they're going to get possessions, permanent possessions, or things they think are permanent possessions. But God wants to be clear that the wife, our, the person we're married to, is permanent for us. All of the things that God gives His people, you may lose. You may even fall into poverty and have to mortgage your family lands or even sell yourself into indentured servanthood until the 50 years of Jubilee shows up. But your wife, your marriage, is permanent. 
in your marriage, you cannot lose it unless infidelity or death occurs. The type of covenant God is stressing here is to say you must remain faithful to your marriage in all things. You must not fall into the temptation to say, my life would be better if I had that other man or that other woman. No, you are in a covenant relationship before God Almighty and the witnesses of God's people. You know, that's one thing. I just want to pause right here. We forget that a lot of times. Young people are getting married and they're thinking about this thing and that thing and they're, they're thinking about the decorations and the dress and, you know, seeing if they can spend all their money up. I don't know. But, but let, me, let me make this point, okay? You know, they know they're going a lot of times into a church to get married. But, you know, the witnesses, God's people that are wit- witnessing God's work of establishing this covenant in marriage, they're important. You know, they're the ones who, if one of you begins to stumble or fall, is going to call you out. They are the ones who are going to call you to repentance. They are the ones who are going to help guide you to be faithful in your marriage. They are witnesses of God's work of that covenant marriage. Who's at your wedding matters. If you've got a bunch of folks there and they don't love Jesus and you don't have any Christians there, they're not going to call you out when you stumble. They're going to be in the same place that you might find yourself in. Marriage is a public act of worship to preach the gospel to others. The bridegroom, that's Jesus' relationship with his bride in the church. We are not to cover, covet another because that is idolatry. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. We must guard against our potential to be a Satan. The first word and the second word, they correspond with the tenth word. You shall have no other gods before me. Now this is interesting. Because Satan went into the garden and he decided, or desired rather, to usurp God's authority in the garden. He wanted to make himself greater than God, at least in the minds of those he was dealing with. He was usurping God's authority there. Satan easily took the authority that Adam had laid down and gave him regarding Eve. All the things that God lays out that we are not to covet are things that he has given to others. God has also given authority over those things to them, so that when God gives us a wife or God gives us a house or God gives us talent or gifts all of those things come from God and he not only has given those to you but he's given you authority over them just to work that out for a minute if you have a gift and you you are have uh, gifts of music you can either work to develop that and take authority over it or you can disregard that not take authority over it and it doesn't develop When we covet someone's, when we covet one of our neighbor's wives or their property or their ability to be successful, by the way, that's what the whole point of the servants and the animals are when he says don't covet your, those servants or don't covet those animals. Those animals produce and they provide future profit. When we covet those things, 
we are desiring to usurp the authority that God has given our neighbor over the gifts that he has given them. We are assaulting God and our neighbor. There's a lesson in the battle of Christ and his church. Satan covets to take what is under Christ's supervision. The church. The church can be like Eve and be deceived when we do not ask our husband Jesus, when we don't go and follow Jesus. What does God say about <clears throat> worship? What does God say about, what does Jesus tell us about how to live our lives? When we disregard his word, we can be deceived. We must reject the notion to fraudulently desire what God has given to others. One misstep, and we can harbor covetousness toward the wicked. Psalm 73 verse 1 tells us this, Truly God is good to Israel, to such are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, says, Your words have been harsh against me, says Yahweh. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before Yahweh of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Psalm 37 tells us this, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be, soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And later on in 37 verse 7, rest in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. People of God, don't covet the wicked. Don't covet others who have success. Don't say, I'm serving God and I'm not getting all these things. Don't covet the wicked. Don't covet others. Don't try to usurp the authority God has given to others. We need to consider both Adam and the second Adam, Jesus, in this, thinking about this and considering it. When, when we consider the dealing of covetousness, we need to consider God's design for man. We can see it best in contrasting Adam and Jesus, the second Adam, really the final Adam, who came to restore all things. At creation, God called Adam to three tasks. Number one, to dress the garden, that is to keep and to work it, to make it flourish in a glorious manner, to dress it up. This is both generally the garden, but specifically his bride, Eve. The second thing is to guard the garden. Adam was to guard all in the garden, and most specifically Eve. Guard Eve from what? A serpent? A false accuser? False teachings? From false food? These are all priestly duties. Teaching, guarding, and finally feeding. Because remember God told him, eat of this tree, eat of all the trees, but not this one. Right? So part of what he was supposed to do, because Eve wasn't there when God spoke that direction. He was supposed to teach her and bring her to the right foods. 
Jesus comes, comparing this, Jesus comes and he teaches his disciples. He guards them from false accusations, from false teachings, and from false food, and even the serpent. Jesus comes and instead of laying down the authority given to him by God, he instead defeats, using this authority, he defeats Satan in the wilderness. Jesus gets his bride, the disciples, and teaches them and even feeds them the true food. Jesus ascended to his throne and guards us by the authority that has been given him. Think back to Matthew 28, 18. He has sent his church guardians who teach and feed his bride every week. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 25, tells us this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now you may be asking, how does this help me not to covet? Consider the work that God has given you. We need to be like Jesus when his parents were looking for him. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus responds to his parents, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? We need to be like Jesus and be about our father's business in making disciples, in teaching, in observing, in guarding, in feeding. Now we need to consider this because we can look at the scriptures and say, Okay, covetousness, I'm, I'm not real clear. What, what is all this? Well, there's three kinds of things that are associated with covetousness, jealousy, envy, and covetousness itself. And we need to understand these things. First of all, jealousy can be righteous. We see in Exodus 20, verse 4, this is God speaking, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I... Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. We also see in Exodus 34, but you shall destroy their altars, talking about the pagans living in the promised land. Break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Everyone in this room who is married needs to guard your spouse and be righteously jealous for them. We should build God's kingdom in this way. Consider Paul and his admonition to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. This is Paul talking about as he's been discipling and teaching and training up the church. For I have betrothed you to one husband that you may present you that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. For I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another, Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you have received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. We need to make sure that that we are busy about God's work, making disciples, teaching, feeding people the truth, worshiping together, coming together in 
as the people of God and being fed by the sacraments. Now, it's important that we be jealous, that we do protect, that we do teach, that we even protect the church and his people, but also this. We need to be careful because jealousy distorted becomes miserly and seeks to hoard wealth for the purposes of self-preservation. It is simply greedy. Now, envy, envy is corrosive hatred for another's success and wealth. Proverbs 14.30 tells us, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. We see this today in many ways. Envy does, when it sees what others have, it doesn't so much want it as it simply doesn't want others to have it. But rather, it wants to find outlets of physical and violent abuse to see that their neighbor doesn't have success or wealth. I think we can look around and see a lot of current events that point in that way. And this is not a new problem. But you see, envy is rottenness to the bones. And it even comes out as it relates to God and Jesus Christ himself. In Mark chapter 15, beginning of verse 10, it says this, For he, that is Jesus, knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of what? Envy. What did they envy? The fact that the people were repenting of their sins and striving to be reconciled to God. They didn't like it. It's going to displace them. They were not about their father's business. They were about their own business. And again, we see the same thing happening to the church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, tells us this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done by meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. We'll say satanic, seeing the, the theme of not being Satan. We see where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. We need to also consider coveting is a desire. Think on this now. It is to take pleasure or delight in something that is under someone else's authority. And it will lead us into what the scriptures say in Psalm chapter 10. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, he blesses the greedy and renounces Yahweh. This will lead us to isolation and foolishness and destruction. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. We need to flee from being like Satan and taking what is under the authority of others. We need to be content. We need to remember that God is the one who has given all men all things. We are to joyfully Submit to God and be content. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says this about Jesus, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that whatever, excuse me, <clears throat> that I have learned whatever state I am in to be content. 
I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full, to be hungry, both bound to abound and to suffer in need. So Paul here is saying, I know how to be content in all these things. And it sounds pretty hard because he's talking about want and need and difficulty. And just when you think that that is too hard, verse 13 in Philippians chapter 4 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that passage is actually referring to being content because God knows that it is a challenge for us. God calls us to be content with what he has given us both in relationships, provisions, and circumstances. We are not to covet. Why? Because our comfort is centered on God's unmerited and unearned grace through Jesus. And he is with us to the very end of all things. So we can be content. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, we are encouraged in this. God gives us all things. It all comes to him because of his grace. And he does not leave us. He is helping us to be content with what he has given us. Now what are we to do? The best way not to fall into covetousness is to remember that we are to be about doing our Father's business. We are to guard, teach, and feed. Remember in the parable of the ten minas in Luke 19 that as the owner of the vineyard was going away, the owner of the cities, the king was going away, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called his servants and delivered them ten minas and told them, do business until I come. Don't be distracted by all the things in the world. Be faithful what God has given you. And be busy doing business with what God has given you in relationship, in property, in time. And it is important for us to remember that God will judge in Luke 19.15. It says, and so that when he returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, by doing his work. This parable was given just prior to Jesus' triumphant entry. Jesus spent Luke 18 and 19 showing God's desire to see people reconciled to himself. All that we are given, whether a spouse, children, talents, skills, money, or success, are gifts from God to bring him glory so that people may be reconciled to God. What has been given to you and your neighbor is to see the nations be discipled. Be about your father's business. Guard, teach, and feed those in your garden that the kingdom of God may flourish. Don't be a serpent in your neighbor's garden. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you have given us. Let us rejoice and be content with your gracious gifts. Please strengthen us to be about your business, guarding, teaching, and feeding the garden you have given us. Uphold us to be faithful to you until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.